السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده ونشكره ونستعينه ونستغفره ونستهديه ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد ولا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أرسله بالحق بشيرا ونذيرا بين يدي الساعة من يتع الله ورسوله فقد رشد ومن يعصهما فقد غوى حتى يفيء إلى أمر الله وإنه لا يضر إلا نفسه ولن يضر الله شيئا وقال الله عز من قائل أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respected listeners A month ago we completed the tafsir of Surah Al-Falaq and as was announced on that occasion today we will be proceeding to the next surah the tafsir of Surah Al-Nas as I explained then Surah Al-Falaq the penultimate surah of the Quran and Surah Al-Nas the last surah of the Quran can actually be considered two parts of one whole. And the 11 verses of both surahs should be regarded as one single continuous set. I explain the virtues of both Surah Al-Falaq and Surah Al-Nas, which are collectively known as Al-Mu'awwidatan, the two guarding and protecting surahs. So I explain the virtues of both surahs as well as the practice of the Prophet ﷺ himself and his encouragement to the believers of reciting both these surahs as a form of protection, morning and evening, three times in the morning, three times in the evening, uh, also before retiring to bed. And when... Uh, faced by a sudden calamity, and also when experiencing pain in parts of the body, Rasulullah would actually recite these surahs and blow over his body and rub himself. And when he was too weak to do so, Mu'minin Aisha anha would do it on his behalf. So these virtues and these prescriptions using both Mu'awwidatan, Surah Al-Falaq and Surah Al-Nas, were discussed in detail then, so I won't repeat myself. All of the virtues and the prescriptions of Surah Al-Falaq apply to Surah Al-Nas. In fact, both of them are to be recited together. But moving on to the actual tafsir of Surah Al-Nas, Allah Azza wa Jal says, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم قل أعوذ برب الناس ملك الناس إله الناس من شر الوسواس الخناس الذي يوسوس في صدور الناس من الجنة والناس Say 
I take refuge in the Lord of mankind, the sovereign of mankind, in the God of mankind, from the evil of the retreating whisperer. He who whispers into the hearts or literally into the bosoms of men of the jinn and of men that's the simple translation of these verses of Surah Al-Nas and inshallah I'll try to explain each one of them in some detail but before doing so again we have to understand Surah Al-Nas in the context of the whole set of Surah Al-Falaq and Surah Al-Nas. Both of these surahs, which come towards the end of the Qur'an, contain a particular theme. And that theme is seeking Allah's protection and refuge in Him from all manner of dangers, both physical and metaphysical. And as I explained last month, the theme of, this, of these two surahs actually reflects the reality of the uniformity and the coherence of the Qur'an in its setting and in its order. One allegation against the Qur'an, or one objection raised against the Qur'an, is that its contents and the arrangement of its surahs are haphazard. But... This is more a failure of actually understanding and grasping the beauty and eloquence of the Qur'an. A close study of the verses and the surahs of the Qur'an will reveal a very unique and albeit subtle link. And here as well, if we can look at these two final surahs of the Qur'an, in reality they are connected with the very beginning of the Qur'an. Just as Allah says in Surah Al-Fatiha, the very key and beginning of the whole book. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Maliki Yawmiddin, Iyaka Na'bud wa Iyaka Nasta'een. These are the very beginning verses. All praise be to Allah, the Lord of the worlds. Allah speaks about His Lordship, His being the sustainer, the nourisher, the keeper, and the Lord of the heavens and the earth, in that very first verse. At the end, Allah also speaks about being the same Lord's nourisher, sustainer, and keeper. He calls himself the Lord of the daybreak. And then in the next surah, the final one, the Lord of mankind. So the same Rububiya, the Lordship, his quality of sustaining, of keeping, of nourishing, of maintaining, of protecting and preserving. All of these qualities contained in the word Rabb are mentioned at the very beginning of the Qur'an as well as at the very end. Secondly, Allah speaks about His sovereignty. At the very beginning, Allah says, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, Maliki, Yawmiddin. He is master and sovereign of the day of reckoning, of the day of resurrection, the day of judgment. But not only is Allah master and sovereign of the day of judgment, but Allah is also master and sovereign 
of his creation, of mankind, of jinn, of the hereafter, the afterlife, this world, nay, the whole universe. At the beginning, Allah mentions being the sovereign of the day of judgment. At the end, Allah mentions being the sovereign of the whole of mankind, Malikin Nas. Allah also speaks about as being the Lord, the only one worthy of worship at the beginning in Surah Al-Fatiha. What does he say? He teaches us that our prayer should be, It is only you that we worship. And at the end, in the final surah, Allah again repeats, nas, the God, i.e. the only deity worthy of worship, the only deity who should be worshipped exclusively is Allah. Again, Allah mentions nas, the God of the whole of mankind. Allah mentions his being a deity at the beginning, at the end. His being a lord at the beginning, at the end. His being a sovereign at the beginning and at the end. And finally, just as Allah mentions at the very beginning of the Qur'an, إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ Teaching us that as believers we should say, O oh Allah, it is only you that we worship, وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ And it is only you that we turn to for succor and help. Similarly, at the end, in both of these surahs, Allah reminds us that our dua should be, just as Allah teaches us a dua in Surah Al-Fatiha, Allah teaches as a supplication in Surah Al-Falaq and Surah Al-Nas. That in Surah Al-Fatiha, it is only to Allah that we turn in worship and in seeking assistance and help. And at the end, it is only in Allah that we seek refuge from the dangers, all kinds of dangers, from the dangers of the night, from the dangers of mankind, from the dangers of jinn, from the dangers of shayateen, and from the dangers of all that we cannot sense and perceive. So there is a very clear, albeit subtle link, between the very beginning of the Qur'an in Surah Al-Fatiha and at the end in Surah Al-Nas and Surah Al-Falaq. Going back to the tafsir of Surah Al-Falaq and Surah Al-Nas, if I can just translate from the beginning and go through all 11 verses, will understand. Allah says, قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ Say, I seek, ref- I take refuge in the Lord of the daybreak from the evil of what he has created and from the evil of the night when it pervades in its darkness and from the evil of those who blow into knots and from the evil of the envier when he envies and then to continue in the last surah, say, I seek refuge in the Lord of mankind, the King of man, the Sovereign of mankind, the God of mankind. From the evil of the retreating whisperer. He who whispers into the bosoms of men, of the jinn, of the men and the jinn, or of the jinn and the men. Now, that's a translation of all 11 verses. We've covered the first five in the uh, Seerah of Surah Al-Falaq last month, so I won't repeat myself. But as you can see, there is a gradual progression from one type of danger to another type of danger. So right at the beginning, we are taught to seek Allah's protection and refuge in him from the danger, generally, of everything that he has created. And then... From the dangers of the night, the lurking dangers of the night, we are to seek Allah's protection from them. These are general. 
then it becomes even more specific, more insidious, more surreptitious. The dangers of what he has created is very general in the second verse. The danger of the night is also very general. And it's also very physical. We're talking about uh, the dangers of predators, of insects, of harmful insects, and the dangers of the dark, etc. Again, very physical, very clear, and also, but also very general. Then we move on to the danger of sorcerers, warlocks and witches. That's, although it's more specific, it's not very clear. It's not very physical, it's not very apparent. It's, very, it's more surreptitious, more subtle, far more dangerous. Then we move on in the final verse to the danger of the envier when he envies. And in reality, the harm of a sorcerer and the harm of the envy of an envier are not too far apart from each other. And then we move on to Surah An-Nas, the main thing which Allah teaches us to seek protection from is min shabril waswas al khannas from the evil of the retreating whisperer who is shaitan and the individuals in his army of shayateen and the iblis and his junud his armies his hordes their danger is greater than the danger of any sorcerer or any envier. The greatest and the most insidious and surreptitious danger comes right at the end of Surah Al-Nas. And that's the evil of the shayateen, of the satans and the devils. Now, before we discuss the actual dangers of Iblis and his army of shayateen, one interesting question is, why does Allah mention... Well, Surah An-Nas is called Surah An-Nas because Allah mentions Nas five times in this surah. Nas means mankind, or just men. Why does Allah repeat man, mankind, or the word people, again and again in this final surah? قُلْ أَعُوذْ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ مَلِكِ النَّاسِ إِلَهِ النَّاسِ الذي يوسوس في صدور الناس من الجنة والناس five times in this final surah in every verse except for one the verse where Allah mentions the devil Allah doesn't mention mankind but Allah mentions mankind and nas repeatedly again and again why? secondly Allah says, Rabbin Nas, Malikin Nas, Ilahin Nas. The Lord of mankind, the sovereign of mankind, the deity or the God of mankind, worthy of worship. Surely, Allah is not just Rabbul Nas, but Rabbul Alameen, the Lord of the worlds, not just the Lord of mankind. Allah says, Malikin Nas, surely Allah is not just the sovereign of mankind, but the whole of the universe. Ilahin Nas, the God of the people, again, why restrict us here in this final verse of the, sorry, final surah of the Qur'an to Allah being the Lord and the, sorry, Allah being the deity and the God worthy of worship, not of the whole universe, but specifically of mankind. 
the reason why Nas, mankind, is mentioned again and again in this final surah. And two, the reason why Allah mentions being the Lord and the Sovereign and the God of mankind in particular, even though he is Lord, God and Sovereign of the whole universe, is because Allah wishes to portray once again towards the end of the Qur'an as a final farewell message, his love and compassion for mankind and their significance with him and his particular attention to the whole of mankind and the honor that Allah has bestowed upon mankind. So indeed, Allah is Lord of the whole universe. Allah is sovereign of the whole universe. Allah is Lord and God and deity of the whole of creation. But in his whole universe, in his whole creation, and of all that is connected to Allah, Allah has given a special status to men, to man, to men meaning mankind, and to people. And this is what Allah mentions it again and again towards the end. And in fact, the beauty of the verses of the Qur'an and their interdependence and their connection with each other is that this whole theme of seeking Allah's protection from the evil of Iblis and his army, which is the specific theme of Surah Al-Nas, detached from Surah Al-Falaq. The theme of both surahs is to seek Allah's protection, refuge in him from all kinds of dangers. But in Surah Al-Falaq, Allah mentions the dangers of creation, the dangers of night, the dangers of witchcraft and sorcery, and the dangers of envy. But in Surah Al-Nas, Allah only mentions the evil and the danger of Iblis and his army. And that is the main theme of Surah Al-Nas. This is actually, this topic of Iblis is connected with the status and the privilege of Anas mankind. Because what this final surah tells us is that there is an ongoing battle between truth and falsehood, good and evil, between insan and shaitan. And this battle between insan and shaitan stretches back to the very beginning of creation. And one of the reasons why shaitan is such an avowed and staunch and sworn enemy of insan is because of one thing mentioned in the previous surah. And another thing, which is, well, it's mainly to do with one thing. Shaitan swore his enmity, Iblis swore his enmity for mankind because of the honor that Allah had bestowed upon man and his envy of that privileged position. Does not Allah say in the previous surah, and from the evil of the envier when he envies? And that's the evil of every envier. But the greatest envier ever was Iblis. And his envy was the greatest. And the damage done by the envy of Iblis cannot be matched or surpassed by the danger of any other envier. And this is why envy is so evil. The ulama have mentioned the first sin that occurred 
or the first sin that was committed in the heavens was envy, and the first sin that was committed on earth was envy. Iblis refused to prostrate to Allah Azza wa Jal because of his envious, because of his envy of the privileged position of Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam. On earth, Qabil killed Habil because of his envy of Habil's position and privileges. The first sin in heaven was Hasid, envy, and the first sin on earth was Hasid, envy. So Allah says, وَمِن شَرِّ حَاسِدٍ إِذَا حَسَدٍ From the evil of the envier when he envies, the last verse of Surah Al-Falaq, and then immediately thereafter we begin Surah Al-Nas. Now comes the story of the greatest raging battle as a result of one person's envy of the other. And that's all the way back to the beginning of creation. When Allah Azza wa Jal created Adam alayhi salam, Allah says in many verses, repeatedly again and again throughout the Qur'an, Allah says, and when we instructed the angels that prostrate to Adam, all of them prostrated, with the exception of Iblis. He wasn't one of the angels, as Allah says in Surah Al-Kahf. He was of the jinn. So he departed from the command of his Lord. He transgressed against and he departed from the command of his Lord. So Iblis refused. And when Allah asked him, why did you refuse? He said a number of things, all of which reflected his envy. First of all, and his arrogance. But they are connected. Arrogance and envy were connected. And they are always connected. Because a person envies since he or she feels entitled. And that sense of entitlement arises from arrogance. A person feels that this, per, this individual has a certain privilege. It could be anything. It could be wealth. It could be something else. Why does he or she have that? They don't deserve it. I deserve it. Why do I deserve it? Because I am better than them. I deserve it because of my self-worth. So, envy stems from arrogance. Envy is a result of a person's feeling of entitlement and of worthiness. And they rage, seethe in anger, and glow green in envy when they discover that despite their supposed entitlement and their worth, they have been deprived of something but someone else, who they feel is beneath them and inferior to them, has obtained it or attained it. And that's exactly what Iblis thought. Iblis said to Allah, Allah said to him, Why, what prevented you from prostrating to Adam when I instructed you? He said, I am better than him. You created me from fire and you created him from clay. I.e., why should the one of fire, who is better 
submits and prostrate to one of the lowly earth, one of clay who is inferior. Furthermore, it wasn't just arrogance. Here, there's nothing to suggest that he was envious of anything. He was merely arrogant. No. In another verse, Allah quotes what Iblis said. Allah said to him, Why, what prevented you from prostrating to Adam when I instructed you to? Shaytan, Iblis, arrogantly replied, That, do you see this one? Whom you have honored over me. This man, this insan, this Adam, that you have honored over me, you want me to prostrate to him? Iblis went further. He didn't just say to Allah that um, I refuse to prostrate to him because I am better than him, but in his arrogance and dismi- in, a, in a very dismissive, arrogant and contemptuous attitude, he actually said to Allah, that do you see this one that you have honored and privileged over me? He said to Allah, Allah, this one that you have privileged and honored over me, let me tell you, if you give me respite and you give me some delay till the day of resurrection, then I will seize him and I will seize his seed, except very few of them. So, this is that this is the reason why Iblis refused to prostrate to Adam alayhi salam. It was a combination of envy and arrogance. In fact, it was envy which stemmed from arrogance. And because of that envy, Iblis declared himself to be a sworn and staunch and forever an avowed enemy of the people. And that's not a small thing. This isn't uh, we, it may sound rather strange and detached and removed from us that Iblis is our enemy. In fact, this is the theme of Surah An-Nas. Allah says in Surah Fatir, Ya ayyuhal nas, inna wa'adallahi haqq, fala taghurrannakum al-hayatu al-dunya, wala yaghurrannakum billahi al-gharur, inna shaytanu lakum aduun, fattakhiduhu aduwa. Allah says, O mankind, Allah's promise is true. So let's never let the worldly life deceive you and never let the great deceiver deceive you. Verily, shaitan is your enemy. So make him your enemy. Treat him as your enemy. And he, he fulfilled his promise. In fact, that this is an ongoing battle between Iblis and mankind. And Allah mentions that graphically in a verse of the Qur'an. In fact, continuing with the verses which I uh, cited earlier, where he told Allah that, uh, give me respite till the... He said to Allah that, this one that you have honored over me, Give me a respite, give me some delay till the day of resurrection, and I will seize uh, his seed, as many of them as possible, except for very few. So Allah said to him, Go. 
فمن تبعك منهم فإن جهنم جزاؤكم جزاء موفورا Go And whoever amongst them I of mankind follows you Then your abode, all of your For all of you, your abode is Jahannam. And that's your retribution. And it will be a fulfilled retribution. Then Allah mentions in the next verse, and this is why I say, this is a battle between Iblis and mankind. Allah say, Shaytan didn't just say, I am their enemy, and leave it at that. He promised to Allah what he would do. In many different verses. And before I quote this graphic verse, let me mention one or two other verses. This verse from Surah Al-Isra, let me mention one or two other verses in which Shaytan clearly told Allah what he would do with mankind. In Surah Al-A'raf, Allah quotes him saying, قَالَ فَبِمَا أَغْوَيْتَنِي لَأَقْعُدَنَّ لَهُمْ سِرَاطَكَ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ ثُمَّ لَآتِيَنَّهُمْ مِنْ بَيْنِ أَيْدِيهِمْ وَمِنْ خَلْفِهِمْ وَعَنْ أَيْمَانِهِمْ وَعَنْ شَمَائِلِهِمْ وَلَا تَجِدُ أَكْثَرَهُمْ شَاكِرِينَ He said, O oh Allah, just as you have led me away, i.e. from your path, then most assuredly I will also sit in the middle of your straight path for them. Then I will come to them. I will surely come to them, from in front of them, and from behind them, and from their right hand side, and from their left hand side. And what did Allah say to him? He threatened to do this much with mankind. And Allah, using the same language of battle and of war mentioned in the Quran, Allah said to him, continuing with that set of verses which I cited earlier, وَاسْتَفْزِزْ مَنِ اسْتَطَعْتَ مِنْهُمْ بِصَوْتِكَ وَأَجْلِبْ عَلَيْهِمْ بِخَيْلِكَ وَرَجِلِكَ وَشَارِكُمْ فِي الْأَمْوَالِ وَالْأَوْلَادِ وَعِدْهُمْ وَمَا يَعِدُهُمُ الشَّيْطَانُ إِلَّا غُرُورًا When he said to Allah, oh Allah, If you give me respite till the day of resurrection, I will seize his seed, his progeny. Except very few of them. And Allah said, well, those of them that follow you, then your abode and your retribution your recompense will be Jahannam. And it will be a just and fitting and fulfilled recompense. Then Allah said to him, وَاسْتَفْزِزْ مَنِ اسْتَطَعْتَ مِنْهُمْ بِصَوْتِكَ And arouse from amongst them, I from mankind. And arouse from amongst mankind. Whomever you can with your voice. With your voice. Then Allah says, this is why I say it's very graphic. وَأَجْلِبْ عَلَيْهِمْ بِخَيْلِكْ وَرَجِلِكْ and rally against them your cavalry and your infantry. What words? Allah uses these words in respect of shaitan and his attack on mankind. وَأَجْلِبْ عَلَيْهِمْ بِخَيْلِكَ وَرَجِلِكَ Arouse from amongst mankind, whomever you can with your voice. And rally against them your cavalry and your infantry. وَشَارِكُمْ فِي الْأَمْرَارِ وَالْأَوْلَادِ And be a partner to them. In wealth and in children. Wa'idhum and promise them. And in reality, shaitan does not promise them anything but deception. And Iblis' attempts didn't begin late. He targeted Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam. And Allah mentions his story in the Quran for that particular purpose. And his way of doing it is not always necessarily upfront and in your face, but very surreptitious, very smooth, very subtle, very secretive. 
In a few verses later, uh, in Surah Al-A'raf, after he makes that promise to Allah, Allah mentions him approaching Sayyidina Adam salam and Ummuna Hawa, our parents. And Allah says of him, وَقَاسَمَهُمَا إِنِّي لَكُمَا لَمِنَ النَّاصِحِينَ فَدَلَّهُمَا بِغُرُورٍ And he swore to both of them, meaning Adam and Hawa السلام, that إِنِّي لَكُمَا لَمِنَ النَّاصِحِينَ Indeed, I am one of the most sincere ones for you. بِغُرُورٍ So through deception, he led them astray. He led them away. He deceived them through guile. When he approached Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam, it wasn't forcefully, it was through lying, guile, and deception. And Allah mentions that for a reason, because shortly thereafter, in the, in the continuation of those verses, Allah says, Ya Bani Adam, la yaftinnakum shaytan, kama akhraja abuwaykum min al jannah, yanzi'u anhuma liba sawhuma liyuriyahuma. So atihima. إِنَّهُ يَرَاكُمْ هُوَ وَقَبِيلُهُ مِنْ حَيْثُ لَا تَرَوْنَهُمْ إِنَّا جَعَلْنَا الشَّيَاطِينَ أَوْلِيَاءَ لِلَّذِينَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ Allah says, O children of Adam, do not ever let shaitan deceive you. Just as he removed your parents from Jannah, removing from them their clothing and their covering, so that he may expose their concealed parts. Indeed, he, he sees you, he and his horde, his army, in a way that you do not see them. Iblis and his army, they view mankind in a certain way which mankind in its naivety and innocence does not view the shayateen. They do not view them in that manner. Then Allah says, indeed we have made the devils, the friends and the awliya, the guardians and the companions of those who do not believe. That's the ending of the verse. So, There is this battle between Iblis and mankind. And Iblis is relentless in his pursuit of mankind. He began with our parents, Ummuna Hawa and our father Adam alayhim salam And he employs all kinds of methods. Sometimes with force, just as Allah said to him, and it's a very graphic description, that rally against mankind, your cavalry and your infantry. Sometimes with <coughs> luring, just as Allah said to him, and arouse from amongst mankind whomever you can with your voice. And sometimes through guile and deception, just as he made false promises and he reassured our parents that I swear to you that I am sincere to you, I mean well for you, I have your welfare and interest at heart. And thus he deceived Ummuna Hawa and Adam alayhim salam and it doesn't just stop there. But this is why Allah mentions, min shadril waswas al-khannas. Sometimes he doesn't even just speak openly, but he whispers and he casts a doubt. He plants a thought and then he withdraws and retreats. He doesn't linger. He doesn't stick around. 
And that's why we are taught in this final surah, that we seek refuge in Allah and His protection from the evil of the retreating whisperer. Waswas means someone who whispers. And khannas means one who retreats. And the meaning of retreating whisperer is of two things mainly. And I'll explain them. So Allah tells us, say, I seek refuge in the Lord of mankind. In the sovereign of mankind. In the God, i.e. the only one worthy of worship of mankind. From the evil of waswas al-khannas. From the evil of the whisperer al-khannas, the retreating whisperer. What's the meaning of retreating whisperer? And who is the retreating whisperer? Well, mainly, it can either be Iblis or one of his shayateen. And the meaning of retreating is of two things, as I said. One, we learn from a number of narrations that the Prophet ﷺ said, Iblis or Shaitan, it could either be the main Iblis or it could be the one Shaitan which every one of us has with him and her. And before I explain Khannas, let me explain the meaning of this, that every one of us has a Shaitan without doubt. As Allah says in Surah, in Surah Qaf, speaking of the Day of Judgment, Allah says when people will stand before Allah in reckoning. And Allah will admonish man for the evils that he has committed and take into account for, the wrong, for his wrongdoings. Allah says on that occasion, قَالَ قَرِينُهُ رَبَّنَا مَا أَضْغَيْتُهُ وَلَكِنْ كَانَ فِي ضَلَالٍ بَعِيدٍ قَالَ لَا تَخْتَصِمُ لَدَيْهِ وَقَدْ قَدَّمْتُ إِلَيْكُمْ بِالْوَعِيدِ مَا يُبَدَّلُ الْقَوْلَ لَدَيَّ وَمَا أَنَا بِظَلَّامٍ لِلْعَبِيدِ Allah says, at the time of man's reckoning, قَالَ قَرِينُهُ His قَرِينُ, his companion will speak up and say, O oh, our Lord, I did not lead him astray. I did not incite him to committing evil. وَلَكِنْ كَانَ فِي ضَلَالٍ بَعِيدٍ He himself was in clear error and distant error. So Allah will say, do not argue in front of me this day. When I had already forewarned you, the word, the decree cannot be changed with me. And I am not one who is in the least unjust to the servants. Who is this Qareen who will speak up on the day of judgment? The Qareen is the individual shaitan for every one of us. In many ahadith, the Prophet ﷺ has mentioned that Allah has appointed, Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud relates that the Prophet ﷺ said, every man, every human has a devil that is assigned to that individual. And that devil is forever attached with each individual. And this is, these are very clear and authentic hadith. When the Prophet ﷺ mentioned this, the Sahaba said, Even you, Ya Rasulullah. And he said, Yes, even me. But the devil who is with me has submitted. 
So the Qareen who is with the Anbiya alayhim salatu wassalam, the Qareen who is with the, um, the Prophets of Allah alayhim salatu wassalam, they have submitted. But apart from them, every other human being. In fact, on one occasion, it's quite a humorous incident, Ummul Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu ta'ala anha says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam left my house at night. So I felt jealous. And in my jealousy, I... Well, I felt jealous. She must have said or done something because of which when the Prophet ﷺ returned, he saw the signs of jealousy on her. So he, and he sensed them. So he said to her, Oh Aisha, did you feel pangs of jealousy after me? And she said, yes. So he said to her, Oh Aisha, did your shaitan come to you? He said, your shaitan. Did your shaitan come to you? So Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha said, Ya Rasulullah, is there a shaitan with me? So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, there is a shaitan with every human being. So Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha said, even with you, Ya Rasulullah? So she said, yes, he said, yes, even with me. But again, for Aslam, he has submitted. So apart from the Anbiya alayhi salatu wassalam, every human being has a shaitan and a qareen. And that's clearly mentioned in the Quran, qareen and uh, in, in fact, uh, in other verses of the Quran, uh, where Allah says, We have assigned to them companions. And in many clear, authentic, categorical hadith, uh, it's mentioned that every insan, man or woman, man and woman, has a qareen, an iblis, a shaitan who is with them. So the meaning of min sharril waswas al khannas. In fact, in a very beautiful hadith of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu, he says that every human being has one angel and one shaitan with him. The angel has a touch and the shaitan has a touch. And the touch of the angel is that he inspires and motivates the individual to do good and keeps him away from evil. And the touch of the devil, the individual devil with every one of us, is that that person incites people too evil and keeps them distant and away from good. So the meaning of bin Sharil Waswas al Khannash from the evil of the retreating whisperer is that this shaitan who is with every one of us, either he or the great Iblis himself, what they do is they constantly attack the person, inciting them to committing evil, preventing them from good. And I'll mention more about that in a moment. Preventing them from doing good. Inciting them to committing evil. Whispering evil thoughts. Encouraging them. Instigating them. And they seem to gain a hold over the heart and mind of the individual. And at the same time, the angel tries to influence them. But depending on the individual's circumstances and their own inclination, this constantly raging battle between the angel and the devil attached to each person, this battle sways in one direction or the other, depending on the individual's own circumstances and their inclination. And one way of releasing 
or loosening the hold of shaitan over a person's heart and mind is through the remembrance of Allah. In a hadith, as I said, the Prophet ﷺ says that shaitan, i.e. each individual shaitan with a person, sits on the heart of man, i.e. grips it. When that person remembers Allah, khanas, that, that shaitan withdraws and retreats. So with the remembrance of Allah, the shaitan retreats. But as soon as a person ceases to remember Allah, then shaitan returns. So this is the meaning of khannas, someone who constantly comes and retreats, comes and withdraws. That's the meaning of khannas. That's one meaning. As I said, there is a second meaning. This is related more to the... Well, uh, again, this is related to both devils from amongst the men and the jinn. Furthermore, the meaning of waswas is the whisperer. And this applies to both shayateen from the men and the jinn. And before I continue, why am I saying shayateen, devils from the men and the jinn? Because Allah says, مِنْ الْخَنَّاسِ We seek Allah's protection and refuge in him from the evil of the retreating whisperer. Who, الَّذِي يُوَسْوِسْ فِي صُدُورِ النَّاسِ He who whispers into the hearts of men, مِنَ الْجِنَّةِ وَالنَّاسِ of the jinn and man, men, of the jinn and mankind. Meaning, these shayateen who whisper into the hearts of men are from both groups, from jinns, as is obvious, but also from amongst humans. Meaning, it's quite simple. Human beings and jinn are two species of creation. They are species. Their biological and chemical constitution may be different, and their physical properties may be different, but both human beings and jinn are the creation of Allah. And each is hidden from the other. The world of jinn and the world of men are two realms that are separated from each other. There are some instances of overlapping, and that's when people have experience of jinn, but on, uh, for, the, for the most part, they are both separate from each other. However, these are simply two species of Allah's creation. However, Allah has given both men and jinn similar qualities in terms of intelligence and a choice between good and evil. And therefore, you have both. You have pious jinn. As Allah quotes the jinn in Surah Al-Jinn, وَأَنَّا مِنَّا الصَّالِحُونَ وَمِنَّا دُونَ ذَلِكَ كُنَّا طَرَائِقَ قِدَدًا The jinn was speaking and said, Indeed, there, there are amongst us those who are pious, and there are those amongst us who are not pious. And we were followers of many different paths. So there are good jinn, and there are evil jinn. There are pious jinn, and there are sinful jinn. Just like there are good, pious, evil, and not so uh, and, uh, good and pious and evil and sinful ints, human beings. So they are both the same. When there are those of the jinn who worship Allah and who are good, just as there are those of the humans, but at the same time, just as there are evil shayateen who get up to all sorts, human beings 
can also follow in the evil ways of the shayateen. And that's why Allah mentions in the verse of the Qur'an, وَكَذَلِكَ جَعَلْنَا لِكُلِّ النَّبِيِّنَ عَدُوًا شَيَاطِينَ الْإِنسِ وَالْجِنِّ يُوحِي بَعْضُهُمْ إِلَىٰ بَعْضٍ زُخْرَفَ الْقَوْرِ غُرُورًا Allah says, and in this way, we have made for every prophet an enemy. An enemy of who? An enemy of the devils from amongst the jinn and the men. They both communicate with each other. And they both convey to each other embellished speech and deception. I.e. jinns. Jinns lead men astray and men actually lead jinn astray. Jinn inspire men to evil and men inspire jinn to evil. And that's by the text of the Qur'an. يُحِي بَعْضُهُمْ إِلَىٰ بَعْضٍ زُخْرُفِ الْقَوْلِ غُرُورًا And that's why in another verse of Surah Al-An'am, Allah says that on the day of judgment, وَيُمَ يَحْشُرُهُمْ جَمِيعًا يَا مَعْشِرَ الْجِنِّ قَدْ اسْتَكْثَرْتُمْ مِنَ الْإِنْسِ Allah says on that day, Allah will amass all of them together on the day of reckoning. And Allah will address them saying to them, يَا مَعْشِرَ الْجِنِّ قَدْ اسْتَكْثَرْتُمْ O assembly of jinn, you have made excessive use and you have exploited humans excessively. Then Allah says, And their friends and their compatriots from amongst the humans will say to Allah, O Allah, we both enjoyed from each other. So this is why there is a very deep connection between the evil jinn, evil ints, evil humans and evil jinn. And they both get up to the same misdeeds and misbehavior. This is why Allah says towards the end, those who whisper into the hearts of men from amongst both the jinn and the men. So going back to Waswas al-Khannas, the retreating whisperer, the retreating whisperer could be a human being or it could be a jinn or one of the shayateen. Let's speak about the shayateen. How does the shaytan whisper and then retreat? One meaning is he has a grip over the hearts of men. And when Allah is remembered, he retreats and he withdraws. And another meaning of the retreating whisperer is that shaytan doesn't approach human beings and deceive them and lead them astray by very obvious and apparent methods. But he does it through guile and deception. And at times he does it merely with arrows of doubt and suspicion and planting seeds of doubt and allowing these seeds of doubt to grow and flourish themselves. So what he does is he comes, he casts an evil thought and then he retreats. He comes, he whispers an evil thought, and then he retreats. That's why there is an onslaught of attacks of evil thoughts from the shayateen. And they could be at any time. In fact, in clear hadith, the Prophet ﷺ has mentioned that there is one, there is one shaytan for wudu. 
There is a shaitan for wudu. Many years ago, I gave a very detailed talk called Satanic Whispers, and I would refer you to that because I spoke about this topic in detail, and I've mentioned all of this and much more in, uh, in that talk many, many years ago, so I'll refer you to that. We don't have time to repeat any of it. But there is a, there is a shaitan for wudu who casts doubt into the minds of the believers when they do wudu. So he makes them believe that they haven't washed properly, they are not pure, they haven't completed their wudu. And that's why people sometimes, they suffer from obsessive compulsive disorder. Uh, That's one explanation, and at times, that OCD is not the only explanation. But uh, if it's excessive, then of course it should be treated. But when normal people experience doubt about wudu, then that is the result of shaitan. Then in another hadith, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam actually names a shaitan who is specific for salah. In a hadith related by Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his musnad, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, there is a shaitan for salah. He actually names him khinzab. And he comes to one of you <coughs> and he casts doubt in your mind. In fact, when you begin your salah, in a number of ahadith, the Prophet says, he will come to you and he will say, Udhkur kada, Udhkur kada, remember this, remember that. Uh, and he will cast doubts and thoughts into your mind. Uh, the words of the hadith until a man forgets and doesn't even realize how much he has prayed. So the Prophet says at the end, well, he should, he should act on what he believes to be correct and then perform the two uh, prostrations of error. So there is a specific shaitan for wudu, there is a specific shaitan for salah. And he wouldn't just attack normal people, he tried to attack Rasulullah In a very clear hadith, the Sahabi says that once I saw the Prophet, we saw the Prophet swishing his arms in this manner in front of him in salah. <clears throat> so after salah we asked him Prophet sallallahu said one of the shayateen was trying to distract me in salah so this shaitan who is with every one of us will cast doubt during wudu during salah but these are minor things in a very clear hadith related by Imam Bukhari Imam Muslim and many others A person, a person suffers an onslaught of evil thoughts, even about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the existence of Allah. This is already foretold. So Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim and others all relate that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Shaytan will come to one of you. Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Shaytan will come to one of you. And he will say to you that Allah created everything, so who created Allah? And on one occasion, Abu Hurairah who is just one of the narrators of this hadith, he was, after the time of the Prophet he was once seated. And a number of Bedouin came to him. <clears throat> and they said to him, oh, Abu Hurairah, I would like to ask you that Allah has created everything, so who created Allah? Abu Hurairah picked up some pebbles and threw them at them and said, Sadaqa Khalili, my best friend spoke the truth. Rise, go away from here. So he, he said, my best friend, i.e. referring to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa spoke the truth. So it's not just about salah, it's not just about wudu. The whispers of shaitan 
affect the core tenets of belief, shaitan will come to one of you and repeatedly ask that Allah created everything. So who created Allah? And these doubts are normal. Imam Abu Dawud rahmatullahi relates a hadith in his sunan that one of the students of Abdullah ibn Abbas عنه, approached him and said, Oh Ibn Abbas, sometimes I feel something in my heart. So Ibn Abbas said to him, what do you feel? So he said, I can't even mention it. I cannot mention it. So Abdullah ibn Abbas said to him, is it something to do with shak and doubt, i.e. of faith? So the student said, yes. So Abdullah ibn Abbas smiled. And he said, this is something which affects everyone. And he said, then he quoted a verse of the Qur'an, he said, Allah even revealed in the Qur'an that if you are fi shakkin mimma anzalna ilayk, that if you are addressing the Prophet wasallam, that if you are in doubt of what we have revealed to you, then Abdullah ibn Abbas said, this affects everyone. And then he even mentioned, he prescribed a treatment. And he said, whenever you experience this doubt, say, Recite the verse of the Qur'an. It's a, he is the, the first and the last, the, out, the, inward, uh, the outward and the inward, and he is all-knowing of all things. So, Doubt affects everybody. And in fact, Imam Muslim rahmatullahi relates a hadith from Abdullah ibn Mas'ud and Abu Hurairah that the Prophet was approached and the Sahaba said, Ya Rasulullah, at times we feel something in our hearts that we cannot bring to our tongues. So the Prophet they said doubt. So the Prophet said, this is clear faith. And in the narration of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, this is the essence of faith. Meaning, what's, what does that mean? They said, we experience doubts, doubts which we cannot even bring to our tongues. And the Prophet wasallam is saying that this is the essence of Iman, this is clear Iman. The meaning is very simple. A burglar only enters a home in which he feels there is something to rob. If the house is desolate, derelict and desolate, the burglar will not waste two minutes. The burglar will not waste a second glance at the house. The burglar will only at- burgle or attempt to burgle a property wherein he believes there is something to be gained. Shaitan only launches attacks against those hearts in which there is iman and on which he believes he can shake or at least try to shake. He is relentless. And this is why the Prophet ﷺ said, this is the essence of faith. This is, the, this is clear iman. And in a very beautiful hadith, once a man came to the Prophet ﷺ and said, Ya Rasulullah, I experienced doubts in my heart, such things that I cannot mention. So Rasulullah ﷺ said to him, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Alhamdulillah, alladhi radda kaydahu ilal waswasah. He said, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. All praise be to that Allah who has reduced the mechanism and the ploy of shaitan to merely a whisper. 
Meaning that he can't achieve more than that. Think of it this way. Rather than suffer, and many people experience that, and it, this really subdues them, this really affects them, and it puts them in a very pitiful state. But in light of these hadith, we should realize that uh, Rasulullah sallallahu has given us, in fact, more reason to be encouraged and motivated and strengthened. One, that such doubts are inevitable, they affect everybody, Abdullah ibn Abbas mentioned that. Not only that, but Iblis will only try to whisper into those hearts wherein there is Iman. And that's why he said this is clear Iman, this is the essence of Iman. And not only that, the most beautiful hadith is that when he heard that this person was experiencing doubt, the very fact that he was disturbed and perturbed by these doubts reflected his faith, his iman. And that's why Rasulullah exclaimed thrice, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, and then said, Alhamdulillah, that all praise be to that Allah who has reduced shaitan's ploy and his mechanism to merely a whisper. That shaitan can't do more than that. So whispers are inevitable. As long as they do not linger and we do not entertain them, and we do not act on them, then, as Sayyidina Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu says in a hadith recorded by Imam Bukhari in his Sahih and by others, an ummati, and then he mentions a number of things, one of which is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has excused and forgiven from this ummah any sinful and evil thoughts that they may have as long as they do not act on them. So, we are excused. And I've covered all of this in more detail in that talk, Satanic Whispers, so do refer to that. This is merely a portion of what I mentioned then in more detail. But going back to Minshar al-Waswas al-Khannas from the evil of the retreating whisperer. These are the whispers of the retreating devil from amongst the jinn. What about the whispers of the retreating devil from amongst the men, from amongst humans? These shayateen from the ints, from the men, are those who whisper evil thoughts into the hearts and minds of others. And these whispers could be of many different kinds. One, anything sinful, anything unlawful, anything abhorrent, which one person tries to encourage and motivate another to do, falls into this category of whispering into the hearts of men. Encouraging others to commit sin, to commit evil, is part of this. And sometimes it doesn't even have to be as blatant as inciting someone to committing evil or sin. Even more subtle things are included in this definition of devils amongst the men whispering into the hearts of men. Planting doubts into people's minds about others. Slander. Gossip, Namima. All of these fall into this definition. And in fact, one thing which clearly is part of this is Namima. Namima is a very unique Arabic word. It's very difficult to uh, translate. Unlike Bohdan, which is calumny and slander. Uh, and various other sins of the tongue. The word namima is quite difficult to define. It's a very unique Arabic word. And some of the meanings incorporated into the word namima are 
gossip, carrying tales, repeating gossip, and also slander. But slander is very serious. Even just idle gossip is actually part of namima. And one of the very clear definitions of namima in Arabic is to say things to different people in order to create divisions between them. In fact, in one clear hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam says, Shaytan Iblis places his throne on the water at the end of the day, and then he summons his army. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam says, the one who is the closest to Iblis in that gathering is the one who has created the greatest fitna. So he asks everyone, what have you done? What have you achieved? And each of his army say to him what they have done, what they have achieved. And he says to every one of them, you have not done anything. You have not done anything. And then finally he asks someone, one of their lower ones, what have you done? And he says, I have not done much except that I have created discord and division between man and wife. And shaitan actually draws him closer, and in one narration he hugs him. And he says, you are the one who has achieved something. So the shayateen from amongst the jinn, they create divisions. That is their favorite method. In fact, in one clear hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam says that Shaykh Iblis has despaired that you will ever worship him in the Arabian Peninsula. Meaning, he was speaking to the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. And with the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, shirk had come to an end. So addressing the companions, he said to them, Iblis has despaired that he will ever embroil you, i.e. those who were being addressed, in shirk, in an idolatry. So he has despaired that shaitan Iblis will be worshipped in the Arabian Peninsula. Illa Except that he hopes to at least continue to create divisions between the people of the Arabian Peninsula, amongst the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. So Iblis is relentless. And if it's not a greater evil, it's a lesser evil. And if it means sowing discord and strife and division, then that is a great achievement in the sight of Iblis. So the shayateen from amongst the jinn create divisions, and the shayateen from amongst the men create divisions. And how do they do it? In the same way through Namima, al-waswas al-khannas, the retreating whisperer. So what does, a per- what does a human being do? A person goes to one person and slips in a word, one comment, a sentence here, a word there. And then having whispered whatever they wanted to, they withdraw. This namima, and sometimes it it seems innocent. For instance, a person is talking and they say, well, do you know what? I heard this person say this about you. I heard this person say this about you. That's part of namima. The namam is in nobody's good books. This is why the ulama have said that one of the, namima is haram. And it's seriously haram. In a hadith related by Imam Bukhari, rahmatullahi alayhi, Rasulullah sallallahu ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma says, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam passed by two graves. We covered this in the very beginning in the Book of Purity, in my commentary of Bukhari many years ago. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam passed by two graves. 
and he stopped and his companions were with him and he pointed to the graves and he said to he said to his his companions that indeed the occupants of these two graves are being punished and they are not being punished for anything major i.e. anything that people consider to be major as for one of them, these two occupants of the graves are being punished. And they are not being punished in anything major. As for one of them, he would carry namima, And as for the other, he would not protect himself from urine. So one of them was, and in fact in another hadith, again related by Imam Bukhari, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Hudayfat ibn al relates this hadith, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says categorically, la yadkhurul jannata qattat, and the meaning of qattat is nammam, la yadkhurul jannata qattat, a qattat meaning a nammam, a nammam meaning one who carries tails and who, who is guilty of namima will not enter jannah. And part of namimah is, the ulama have said, part of namimah is when someone comes to you and says to you something which is hurtful to you. That is actually part of namimah. What's the benefit of telling someone something that's hurtful to them? I, people say all sorts about everybody. That's human nature. If you wish, go and people abuse Allah, people abuse the prophets of Allah. Is there anyone who is immune to criticism, to slander, to calumny, to allegations, to accusations, to lie, to backbite, to lies, to backbiting, to falsehood? No one. If Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam are not spared, who is spared? So let's imagine our own parents, our mothers and our fathers, two of the most beloved people in our lives, for everyone, are they angels? Are they special? Are they unique in that they are different to anyone else? No, they are normal human beings. Undoubtedly, our parents, our mothers and our fathers will have their own detractors and enemies and their envious. And undoubtedly, people will say things about our own mother. And if we heard something said about our own mother, would we actually go up to our mothers and say, Mother... I heard someone say this about you, and I heard that person say this about you, and I heard this person say this about you. Would we do that? What does it achieve? We would not do that with anybody. This is why the ulama have stated that those who carry tales, that's namima, those who carry tales to you are also guilty of namima, for nothing productive is achieved. What is achieved? What is achieved? That's why, in, 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 although it's not related, it's not related, but it's similar in the sense that in the, after the Battle of Muta, and I describe this in Kitab al-Janais in Bukhari as well, after the Battle of Muta, when the people of Medina were in mourning, especially the close family of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, because three of his beloved family members had passed away. Or two of his beloved family members and another close companion. So the Prophet ﷺ, his close family was in mourning and some of the women were wailing. So the Prophet ﷺ said to someone, go and stop them. So they went to stop them. But they didn't stop them. But the women didn't stop. So they came back. So they said to the Prophet ﷺ, Ya Rasulullah, they haven't stopped. So the Prophet ﷺ said, go and stop them. 
So they went back and tried to prevent the women. But it's very difficult at such a sensitive time to prevent women from weeping in that manner. So he came back and said, Ya Rasulullah, uh, they haven't stopped. So the Prophet said, go and stop them. And then one of the wives of the Prophet spoke up and said, Alas, woe be unto you. Neither were you able to stop them, nor did you relieve Rasulullah of the pain. The meaning is, if, he, if you could not achieve what the Prophet ﷺ instructed to do, you to do, there was no benefit in repeatedly coming to the Prophet ﷺ and telling him something which wasn't fruitful or productive. All it resulted in was pain and grief for him. So although it's not related, and I'm not saying that's namima, the principle of not saying anything to anyone which isn't fruitful or productive or beneficial in any way, which only leads to grief and hurt. This principle applies in Namima. Namima is the sin of carrying tales and of whispering things to people here and there with any intention and often with the intention of creating and sowing discord and strife. So, uh, and even if it means carrying tales back to the person, all of this is part of Namima. These are the shayateen from amongst the men who carry out a task similar to the shayateen from amongst the jinn. There is so much more to be said on this topic. And I'll just mention one thing. How do we protect ourselves from the whispers of shaitan? Well, the main thing is a remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there are many hadith about this. Even when it comes to doubt about the existence of Allah, the Prophet ﷺ mentions in a number of hadith that if someone experiences, they should say, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم They should spit thrice to their left, and they should also affirm their belief by saying, آمَنْتُ بِاللَّهِ وَبِرُسْلِهِ I believe in Allah and in His messengers. And in general, the remembrance of Allah, as Allah says in the Qur'an, Indeed, those who adopt taqwa, who are fearful of Allah, when a thought from shaitan afflicts them, they immediately realize, and then they are aware. So the remembrance of Allah dispels the shaitan and causes shaitan to withdraw. I'll end with this. There is a lot to be said further about these verses, but I'll suffice with this. And to wrap up, Surah Al-Falaq and Surah Al-Nas are the two final surahs of the Qur'an. They are both connected, a total of 11 verses. The theme is seeking Allah's protection from evils and dangers. The evils and dangers of all that Allah has created, of the night, of sorcery, and witchcraft, of envy and its ill effects. And in the final surah, Allah specifically mentions, and Allah reserves a whole surah to guiding mankind to seeking his protection and refuge in him from the evil of the retreating whisperer. And these are the evil whisperers from both amongst the, the, the devils, from both amongst the men and the jinn. And the reason why this battle rages is because Iblis is a sworn and avowed enemy of mankind from the time of Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam. And that itself is a result of envy which Allah speaks about in the previous verse. And this is a raging battle which although the final surah discusses it in the context of whispers, it's not restricted to whispers. 
But Iblis has many methods of misleading the people. I mentioned something earlier about prevent the, the devil prevents from good. The devil doesn't, doesn't, doesn't just incite people to committing evil. Shaitan has very surreptitious methods, which means that if shaitan can't make a person commit a sin, they will prevent them from doing good. And if they can't prevent them from doing good, you know what they will do? The shaitan will actually convince the individual to do a lesser good and feel content that at least I was able to prevent him from doing a greater good. This is why the ulama say, at times, shaitan leads a person through 99 doors of good in order to make him commit one evil at the end. So, Iblis's arsenal is vast, and one of his greatest weapons in his arsenal is deception. Deception and delusion. These are also part, tools of shaitan, and this is why Allah restricts the final surah in discussing the deception of the devil and his evil whispers. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us to understand the words of Allah in the Quran. May Allah enable us to recognize Iblis and the shayateen for what they are. This isn't minor and it's not a laughing matter. As Allah said in that verse of Surah Fatir, very powerful. Ya ayyuhal nas, inna wa'adallahi haqq, fala taghurrannakum al-hayatu al-dunya, wala yaghurrannakum billahi al-gharur. Inna shaytan lakum aduwan, fattakhidhuhu aduwa. Inna ma yad'u hizbahu liyakunu min ashabi al-sa'ir, or mankind, Allah's promise is true. So do not ever let the worldly life deceive you and do not ever let the great deceiver deceive you. Verily, shaitan is your enemy. So take him as an enemy. Indeed, he invites his party so that they can be the people of the fire. And as I said earlier, one of the most graphic verses of the Quran is when Allah tells Iblis, Allah says to Iblis, and arouse of mankind whomever you can with your voice, and rally against them your cavalry and your infantry. And be a partner with them in wealth and in children, and promise them, and shaitan does not promise mankind anything except deception. Iblis's promises are merely a deception. And what does Iblis promise you? What does he threaten you with? In a verse, Allah mentions that. Iblis promises you, he threatens you with poverty and he instructs you to lewdness and sin. And Allah promises you forgiveness and bounty from him. And Allah is full of bounty, all-knowing. The two are connected. Iblis always threatens people with poverty. If you don't do this, you will be poor. You will end up poor. You have to work, you have to strive, you have to earn. And it's never enough. Because man is constantly thrown into fear by Iblis of falling into poverty. And his love of wealth and his pursuit for wealth increase. And they are connected to the next verse of the Quran, which Allah's in next few words, Allah says, Shaytan promises you, or i.e. he threatens you with poverty, and consequently he commands you to committing lewd sins. The two are connected. 
So these are just some of the ploys of shaitan, I pray Allah enables us to understand uh, the devil's deception and his ploys, to recognize Iblis and the shayateen for what they are, as Allah mentions them in the Qur'an. May Allah enable, may Allah protect us from wasawis and from doubts. May Allah protect us from the evil of the enviers when they envy, and the evil of the retreating whisperers from both amongst the shay'a amongst the jinn and the men wa sallallahu sallam ala abdihi wa rasulihi nabiyyina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashhadu an la ilaha illa ant nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk this lecture was delivered by sheikh abu yusuf riyadhul haq and has been brought to you by alkotha productions for additional lectures and products please visit www.akstore.com we can also be contacted by phone on double zero double four one two one double seven one three triple seven or by email via sales at akstore.com. Produced under license by Alcotha Productions, all rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author. Any unauthorized distribution, broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.